Welcome to the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. And I'm just Kiefer. And today on the podcast, we continue in this series on mystics and mysticism and mystery. And we got to begin with the the line in this text that we have all three mm-hmm. underlined. We, we were comparing notes before we got started and, and noticed that in the book, The Mystic Way of Evangelism, all three of us underlined the same sentence. And it's powerful. It says, love is about embracing holiness for the sake of the world. About embracing holiness for the sake of the world and that holiness is a God posture. This this whole movement, and today, if you can't tell, we're kicking into a, a, a time where we're going to be talking about and looking into the self-emptying nature of our walk with Christ and the way the mystics invite us into how do we love not for selfish reasons or anything else, but for the sake of the world and embrace this spirit of holiness um, in an aim to, to to make things different, to make the world different and to transform things. Which I think you just brought up like a really good point there, Daniel, kind of tucked into that statement, which is, I think, one of the biggest critiques of like the mystics posture towards Christianity, which is that... Um, the way that, like, I think our Texan terms would put it is that it's navel gazing. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that people, um, when we look at mysticism from the outside and ha- haven't experienced it, haven't been um, involved in it um, whatsoever, I think the thing that we miss in it is kind of what you named there of that holiness is a Godward posture. Like there, there is movement required there. And that gets into this self emptying following of Christ, which I feel like brings up a first, like really good definition to jump into right here. What the heck do you mean? Like when we hmm. say self emptying, cause I don't think that's like the natural, like, I think everyone listening to this <laughs> podcast probably intuitively understands what that means when following Christ, but you might kind of be like, Wait, like I even when you said it, Daniel, as someone who prepared for this podcast, I was like, wait, what is my self-emptying journey with Christ? So what we mean is kenosis. Oh. Oh, that was very helpful. Thank you so you're, much. You're welcome. You're welcome. I mean Obi-Wan kenosis is a Greek for self-emptying. <laughs> right? Uh, it, um, no, I think it's this He's my favorite it, character from Star Wars. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Um if I were to try to say it in just a few words in, in, in sort of Daniel's version of Texan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, self-emptying is, is a way of saying, God, your way, not mine. And yeah. I'm going to choose to um, live in ways that lift you up and push your causes rather than push my causes and lift me up. Mm. Yeah. And like the literal, like, meaning of that word kenosis in Greek is this actual like to take a cup, like to take your coffee cup and to pour it out. Like it literally means to, uh, I hmm. deeply appreciate cause this is a listening form form forum. <laughs> but in this moment, as I'm saying, take your coffee cup and pour it out. Both Kiefer and Daniel lift their uh, drink of choice, water and coffee to take a sip because that's what we naturally do. But it is that it's that sense of tipping out and the like the Texan version I've heard of kenosis on that is that 
it's not just the sense of like you pour yourself out until like, you know, the cup is empty, but then when you take it over to the sink, like you still have a little bit left in it, you got to get out. Mm. It's to go put it outside on an August day in Texas and leave it there for a couple hours and then come back. There's going to be nothing left in that cup. Like that is the self-emptying nature that we see in Christ. Mm. It is oh. that, and, and I love that image, that space where evaporation can, can come in, mm-hmm. right? That kind of, um, uh, and the thing that I love about that image is the completeness of it, right? Yeah. Um, the lack of having anything in reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminded uh, recently in, in our worshiping community, we preached on the text from Mark 14. Okay. Right, where the woman comes uh, on the night that Jesus is to be betrayed during that Passover week in Jerusalem and and breaks this uh, pottery jar of of perfume and, and covers Jesus in it. And it's mm-hmm. it's an anointing for burial. Right. But but many scholars believe that that jar represented pretty much all that the woman had from a financial yeah. means standpoint. And she didn't just sort of open the lid of the jar and pour a little in her hand and rub Jesus on the head or, you know, pour it over his hair or, you know, <laughs> pretend it's that oil you add to your hair whenever That's you know right. things get dried out. Right. It, it wasn't that kind of approach. It was, I'm going to break this thing that was between 20 and $30,000 of value Man. in that day and just pour every last bit of it over Jesus. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about the self-emptying love of Christ and, and going to the cross and, and all of that, but he was also a recipient of that, yeah. So emptying here is everything I have yep. uh, in that moment, which is a really I've always loved that story because Jesus is almost poised to maybe be like he's in the you never really see Jesus in a receiving way other than mm. this story. And like the way he goes about because he because then he berates the people that are berating the woman. Right. Like he, yep. right. The, they go after her like, what are you doing? And then he says, hey, she's being kind. And it's like his response could ev- always to me could have easily gone into like, Hey, I deserved this like territory, mm. you know, like for but he, but like I, it was always so close to like, I, he doesn't, he doesn't say anything about his deserving of the gift, but the fact that it was so kind and loving of this person to empty themselves for the sake of another person, like without, but he removes himself from the equation. So it's, so it's this, this like, it was one, it's one of the most perfect responses, I think for me from Jesus, just because it, it's not about him deserving the the gift that he's being given. Yeah. It's about the kindness of the gift being given from, of the giver. And like what I love about y'all bringing this story into this, um, I think it highlights a couple things in our like mystic journey and this specific piece of kenosis of self-emptying, of following Christ, which is this, this Mark 14 story is it's Jesus's anointing story. It's mm-hmm. Jesus being anointed as King, which like, I, I know like in our Christianese, sometimes we like forget how all these words are connected, but like to call Christ rightly Messiah or Christ, if we're to call Jesus Christ <laughs> or Messiah, Messiah literally is Hebrew for anointed one. And the only ones that are anointed in that time are kings. So this is Jesus's like, this is him being anointed as king before. Yeah. So anoint, so anointing isn't 
a religious thing. It's the it's the political thing of the. I mean, I guess political religious was a bit one and the same, more right. one and the same than it is today. But like yeah. anointing was the. This is how we have. Mm-hmm. Like you started your reign when you're anointed. Like yeah. it's the wow. Okay, I didn't. I don't think I knew that. <laughs> yeah, and so like I think that it goes back to that statement of like, um, from the line that you read already for us of like, um, ho- like it's embracing holiness sake uh, for the sake of the world, and so when we embrace holiness for the sake of the world, like we are pouring out that expensive perfume on God's head or on the world's head. Um, and that's so needed. And there are going to be times where, um, cause that's also part of this process is that we also sometimes need to sit in that seat and receive it. I think that's actually the harder thing for a lot of us to do is to receive that kind of grace. Yeah. Absolutely. As Kiefer was talking, it, uh, my brain went exactly where you went. The hardest thing is to be on the receiving end of the goodness and the invitation we give to people all the time to go be a light of love and hope and grace for the world. And I love being that, but receiving it can be, you know, such a, I mean, it shouldn't be a hard thing, but often yeah. it is, right? Um, it's a practice of true vulnerability and humility. And those aren't things that like, that's again, like, cause I think that's something we've highlighted in episodes is how countercultural the stance of mysticism and why I think it is a, is a form of showing people who God is in today's society is so powerful because humility and vulnerability are like the exact opposite of what we're encouraged to do um, for the most part um, in our workspaces, in our home spaces, even. Um, so how powerful is it to say, no, I can also receive this. Mm. Yeah, it's the opposite of fake it till you make it. Yeah. Man. And I mean, and when I think of all this too, like to bring up just another scripture for us that kind of gives us this sense is uh, Philippians chapter two, which mm. is verses one through 11 are actually called the hymn of kenosis. Right. Um, and it's where Paul gives this idea written out beautifully of, you know, he's writing to the church of Philippians. And I think it's one that we can hear ringing true for us today of like, if you found any comfort in God's and Christ's love, if you found any um, coming together, like then be united, be like Christ. Hmm. And then the, the song that flows for that is that hymn of Kenosis. It's this um, Christ, didn't consider being equal with God something to be like strived for, but rather um, took up death on a cross and poured himself out. That's the hymn of kenosis. Like that's That's, the academic term of it for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I've never heard this word before. (laughs) Welcome. So, so my definition was not helpful earlier. I guess that's what you're telling me, Keith. Definition? Uh, you mean when you just said, "Oh, that's kenosis," right? <laughs> right. Yes, that definition. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not helpful. Uh, one of the things that I love uh, about this Mystic Way of Evangelism book that we've kind of been touch pointing in, dropping in on along the way, is that often it gives us a profound um, and really helpful uh, lived example of how one of the mystics um, or folks who's embraced this stance of holiness in years past, um, sort of the the great saints of the church have 
have shown us what this looks like, right? Because it's it's all good to talk about it and even have pretty images for it where we talk about, you know, it is the uh, evaporated water out of our Texas cups on August days, mm -hmm. right? I mean, but to, to hear a witness to what it looks like in the midst of it is really powerful. And I love the story of, of Father Arsney. I'll admit, I didn't know Father Arsney before I read this book in, in seminary. And, and I forgot about him between when I read it in seminary and when I've <laughs> read it again here recently. But it, it's it's a profound uh, story of of a guy who said that his sort of founding, you know, the, the scripture that oriented his life uh, came from Galatians 2, right? To bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fill, fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah. Um, and will you put that in context for people who haven't read the mystic way of evangelism of like why that becomes even more powerful when we put it into the context yeah. of who Father Arsene was? Yeah. Yeah. So he was he, he lived in the USSR during the time when. Um, What's that? Was, that wasn't around. When, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Soviet Union, um, <laughs> what we now call Russia. Uh during the, the time of communist reign, where there was a crackdown on, on Christian expressions of faith and many priests and monks and, and sort of uh, folks were labeled as political dissidents. And so ended up in these different types of internment camps um, that were often really kind of very harsh work camps. And, and he spent time um, in any number of those uh, along the way uh, in the what the 1930s and he was, he was arrested in 1933 um, and spent different time in, in those camps until 1958. So 25 years spent in, in these camps and in living in the kind of most brutal of conditions, you think of, you know, Siberian winters, right? Um, Siberian winters without adequate heating or uh, mm -hmm. clothing and that kind of thing. And um, you know, he's prisoner number one, eight, three, seven, six, but uh, his his ministry was to give himself day by day uh, in prayer and friendship and love to the people he was there with and the people who had been labeled as unwanted and dangerous and menaces to uh, society. Right. Um, whether that was a rightful determination or not uh, by the society that they were in, they had been labeled dangerous. And, and so he his life and his ministry was to just be sort of this embodied love of Christ. And so he would pray frequently and regularly with people with many who would not claim any form of faith before their connection with him. Right. Um, he would be present. Uh, one of the, the stories that I found incredibly powerful was sort of uh, a moment where he and, and another guy found themselves in an isolation space. Yeah where they were being starved out, where they were, you know, surviving winter without adequate sort of heat or, you know, hypothermia was a real threat and just their consistent connection to each other um, and to God in the midst of that uh, allowed for um, their ultimate survival. Uh, he's often described as a living martyr. Yeah. I, I love, I love that language, right? Yeah. Because the true, the, the depth of, self-emptying to the point of dying to self, right? To the point where like, yeah. I think another like term that was used for him was he was a living prayer. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think that is like, I think that's such a beautiful depiction of kenosis. 
It is. Yeah, because often, you know, I think if anything, we're, I mean, we're of kind of parts of three generations here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Melissa tells me I'm an ex-lineal, um, yep. <laughs> which, which means, you know, I was born Does in 84. Is that a D-lineal? You're cus- well, he's a, cu- well, yeah, you kind of are. Yeah. So y'all you know, are both okay. cut babies born in that like in At between other, space. In between. Yeah. Right. I'm staunchly opposing, millennial. Opposing cusps. <laughs> you know, often when it comes to generational conversation, you know, baby boomers get mentioned, the greatest generation gets mentioned, millennials are sort of this default term for anybody under 50. Um right. but realistically, we have <laughs> Gen X, we've got millennial, we got Gen Z after the fact. I will always stay, I will always stand by, and we can move on, but I will always stand by if you were old enough, and I feel that I was old enough to at least since the 2008 recession, mm. like as it was happening, I was 11, but I mean, like I was, I was like, you know, I, I feel like I saw the impacts of that. That's, I feel like I'm more millennial than Gen Z just from, from that ec- economic standpoint, but we'll, we can move on. I will always claim millennial more than Gen Z. Well, so <laughs> so I, I was getting out of the real estate industry, having experienced the beginnings of the, the bubble bursting. I spent yeah. two years flipping houses and doing a lot of real property investment in that time and didn't know I was part of the problem uh, until after (laughs) the fact. But so I this actually like I feel like it does bring this perfect like um, pivot moment because something I'm holding on to Daniel that you said from the father Arnsney story is about, um, you know, whether or not the government appropriately appropriately labeled him as dangerous. But Mm. I do think there is something that is innately in the DNA of who we are designed to be as Christians that should be dangerous to the culture that we're in, the culture that pushes um, against love of neighbor, that pushes against um, embodying the things that we saw Christ embody, which in the shorthand for us today in the mystic speaking language would be kenosis towards that giving yourself of as moving to the cross. But the thing I, I was thinking about as we were talking about this, because I think we've all probably, if we grew up in the church, have heard these stories of like the living martyrs or the actual martyrs. And there's something about it. If we're just real honest about our privilege in talking about like, you know, the 2008, like, you know, that is so minimal compared to what others might experience um, in their lifetime. But I don't think that diminishes that we as Christians can't have some of that smacks of danger. Um, And I think the mysticism actually provides this beautiful way. Um, to be dangerous in such a countercultural way, because it's not carrying um, a giant rifle down the street. Instead, it's standing in opposition to where, what, where others want to push us um, into places of comfort over fear. Whereas the mystic, I think, can stand in the place of absolute fear that surrounds, but be unaffected by it. And I have an example, but I see both of you wanting to jump in. So I want you to both jump in, but know that like, I'm going to pull, I want to pull back on this thread one more time for how it impacts us today. Yeah. So where we were going with the whole generational bit to begin with a minute ago was we named uh, Arsene as a living prayer. And I think that the, the way he embodies kenosis and self-emptying is I think incredibly powerful for our three generations, right? The Gen X, the millennial and the Gen Z folks 
who can be, um, and, and I'll name this in myself sometimes, a little more cynical toward we've lived in a social media world for a good chunk of our life where there's this big systemic issue that breaks God's heart and breaks humanity's heart, or at least it should. Um, and the response is thoughts and prayers or, you know, something which, you know, I, I know deeply committed people of prayer for whom that response is a profound act of faith. And it actually is something that will have the potential to lead to life change. But sometimes we've seen enough things in our generation where thoughts and prayers means I've typed this and I don't have to do another thing with it for the rest of my life. And I can live in my little comfortable bubble you were talking about, right. Um, that, that there's a little cynicism there. And so the thing I love about his example, uh, and, and any moments where we've seen things like it is that embody that call to not just offer prayers, but be that you know, sometimes you are the answer to the prayer that you are lifting or that somebody else is lifting. And can you embody that spirit of, of living that prayer? And that can push us past that cynicism that I think generationally pops into each one of our Mm -hmm. three generations. I remember during our series, questions Jesus asks us, that was the title of that series. And I really liked that. There was one question that I don't remember if it ended up being preached on or not, but it was Jesus asking whoever he was talking to in the scripture, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Like what was one of the questions. And I remember being like, I had never quite thought this struck me while well during that series, but the fact that it's, you know, if to be, you know, uh, Orthodox here, uh, Jesus as God, you know, in humanity, knowing that like in theory, knowing the every needs of every person of every kind of going out of the way to, con- to still ask and show up yeah. and, you know, you, you, it's like, I, I just, the image of God, everlasting God asking mortal person who has no idea what they need, you know, in the long, like none of right. us know what we need, <laughs> like at the God level, but to right. show up in that moment and go, what, what can I do for you? You like, mm. you tell me what I can do for you, even though I know what's best for you. <laughs> you tell me what I can do for you is still something like, I think that's kind of at the heart of. And so I think the thoughts and prayers thing, some of the cynicism comes from like, I think sometimes when we when we hear th- people, you know, nowadays something terrible happens. Oh, sending thoughts and prayers. There's, I think, what it's missing is that element of like, even if you think thoughts and prayers is the bottom line, like the most you can do for somebody is pray for them. And if you wholeheartedly believe that, and you know all of that, that's not always necessarily what is like the, what the other person in that moment would be would have would ask mm-hmm. for or would would feel that they need. And so it's that kind of tension of. I mean, and obviously Jesus was able to do amazing things for people because of his prayer and his faith. And, you know, that that's a big piece of it. But it was always, you know, we're going to I want to I'm still going to ask you what I can do for you. You you tell me what I can do for you. and I'm, I'm going to do that. Um, it's, it's a pretty profound thing for me. Um, God asking that of a, of a person. It's just it's almost silly. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just yeah, I love that you brought that up because it's. I lost my train of thought, but I was just agreeing with you essentially of um, it is beautiful the ways that we can respond to God, even if God knows what right. we deeply need. And even if we're going to get it wrong. Yeah. And now I'm thinking of all the times that people asked Jesus 
what they needed to do. Like they went out of their way to go, okay, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm even more holy. I'm going to ask you what I need to do. It was sell all your possessions. Every time that question is asked of Jesus, they walk away sad. They, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, crap, I don't want to do that. So it's, it's almost like a kindness that Christ would come and ask what we need, you know, mm-hmm. from, from God at any given moment. Um, but at the end of the day, there's still like so much more work to be done. Like when you, if you're going to show up to God and be like, what do I need to do? to enter the kingdom or whatever the question, yeah. however the question was framed, it was always like, sell all your possessions, you know, serve the poor, completely forget yourself, die, die to yourself, what we're talking about. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think mean, self-emptying is really profound in that moment. Sell all, I mean, like mm-hmm. if we take Jesus literally for a second, sell all your stuff and give the money to the poor, mm-hmm. included the things that, you know, if we were to take it hyper literally for today would be the things that kind of empower you to, to make your money, right? Or the, the tools. I mean, it's it's a crazy uh, ask. Uh, if if not really a crazy ask, but it's a it's a hyper challenging ask. Yeah. That that pushes us in a in a in a hard way. I mean, this self emptying thing. Once we kind of get down what it is that we're actually talking about here, it right. it's radical. Um, yeah, and that's where. So that actually brings me back to that pullback moment that I wanted to have of like, what about in our context, um, allotting for privilege of probably the majority of our um, listenership would have. And I actually think that um, another story that's lifted up in the mystic way of evangelism in this section is the story of Parker Palmer. Parker Palmer was a lay woman in the United Methodist church. And one of her big, like, life moments is losing a uh, is miscarrying a child phoebe palmer i said parker palmer that's a different person uh phoebe palmer thank you um is uh it's her story of losing that child and allowing that to become the spark of saying i don't understand god but i'm going to continue to pour out and to ask the question of you, God. Um, And in that, she did incredible work in ministry. And I think that's one of those spaces that um, just like Phoebe's story of losing a child, that's something that I think a lot of women, we don't talk about, but yet the statistics say that one in eight women are going to struggle with um, pregnancy, whether that's miscarrying, whether that's losing a child, whether it's not being able to conceive. Um, And so I actually think um, recently I found myself surrounded by women that are friends or congregation members or previous people that I have pastored um, who are are going through some of these struggles. And I just, in the midst of that, their deep faithfulness to God, even in the really big questions that they have of God, of I long to be a mother God, but yet this can't happen or this isn't happening for me, um, or just the simple whys. I think that is such a beautiful testament to what we're talking about here of the self-emptying that we can see in the women around us, or if we... um, are related to or married to women who have experienced this. I think that's one of those spaces of the mystery of mysticism that we see in women um, that we have to mm. offer from our context of where we stand mm. of mm. kenosis. Yeah. Melissa, the, the shift that, that Phoebe names, right. Is a shift when she, and it's profound in paradigm when 
she realized that God, not her experience of God, was the focus of holiness. Yes, yes. Because so often life in, in its myriad forms, in its mm-hmm. myriad places of privilege and challenge, right, can make us feel like they're, you know, it. our focus can often be on the experience we mm-hmm. have. God. We, When asked to name those holy moments, we, we don't name the moments where our experience of God seemed far away, right? We name those yep. moments radical intimacy with God, or at least in our experience of God. But the truth is that intimacy, if God is everything we think and believe, is sort of always available, just not always experienced, right? And so that shift to say, without regard to circumstance, God, you are the focus of my attempts at faithfulness and fruitfulness, um, rather than only when, you know, when things are feeling just right or our experience is just right or vice versa. Yeah. And like, I love it because out of that kind of space, she has these two really incredible quotes of um, one of them is to hold on to the death struggle, uh, Mm. which I think is part of that. Like the mystery of who we follow as a God is that there's something else on the other side of death, but there's also a really true pain and grief that comes with it on this side of things. So to, to hold that tension, to hold that struggle. Um, and then also uh, when reading scripture to hold the naked truth with the naked scripture. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a beautiful statement because I do think so many times when we come to scripture, we want to put on these rose colored glasses. We want to, mm-hmm. you know, explain it away, make it the prettiest version of what it can be. But I think the danger when we do that is that our faith can tip into prosperity gospel. Um, And when our life is falling apart around us um, in, in whatever form that comes, then what does the gospel have that's good news for me? God, this is why, this is another thing that I've been thinking about because last week we talked about the different, all of the different I'm going to forget all the seminary words here, but the (laughs) theories of atonement, theories of atonement. Right. And there was the one where, you know, Jesus sort of tricks the devil. And I was talking about how that just always seemed silly and kind of like, but, but actually a more, on a more serious note, what that does for me is I think one of the, one of the greatest things about Jesus's death on the cross is that he, it's, he suffers. Like it's not Mm. easy because he's God, you know, like he chooses to go through death as a human, like it's a, it's not any like, you know, and, and he, he's crying out, you know, why have you forsaken me? All this, like he goes through all of the things. So if Jesus is choosing to suffer this and then it's all just like some trick, like a ha ha that, that may, if it's a trick for, for Satan or whatever, then it makes all of that like a performance rather than something for me to relate to as like, mm-hmm. he actually went through that suffering. Like yeah. it, he suffered. And to me, that's way more, meaningful and it and it's it's what strikes a chord with me today is how many people it's the i'll fly away thing where you know uh yeah i mean it sucks but that's everything that sucks is just a trick by satan because everything's going to be fine later um but for some reason you know for some reason that just that that doesn't seem human to me that doesn't fully seem Mm -hmm. right to me because we do suffer and when other people suffer you know what what's what's my job my, my i don't know it think things just seem meaningless if it's like 
don't worry. I know it's, I know it's hard, but I'll fly away, <laughs> you know, later it'll yeah. all get fi- fixed. So, so Kiefer, would it be fair to say that the self emptying love of kenosis is important? Yes. I would, <laughs> I would think that it's. Important. I love that the songwriter amongst us is the one who like names it so beautifully of that. There's importance in the suffering um, which I think makes me want to just state this hymn. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider himself being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly... Honored him and gave him a name above all other names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. (laughs) Gatsby says amen to that. That would be the dog barking in the background. Thank you for joining us today on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. And I'm just Kiefer. And these conversations are, I, I'm going to definitely say now, my favorite that we've had on this on this podcast. I am loving this book that we're in. I'm loving mysticism and evangelism even is taking on a new uh, meaning for me, which I never thought would really happen. Uh, and if you're enjoying this these conversations as much as I am, uh, we would love some help in getting them uh, out to as many people as possible. You can best help us by Uh, leaving a comment or a review, depending on the platform you're listening on. uh, And also, of course, sharing it to your social media, sending it to people you think would enjoy it, all of the the things. Uh, And so we would just really appreciate that. And now that we have gathered, I want to give you an invitation to grow. Today, we invite you to adopt the Spirit of Christ and try on this self-emptying love that we have seen modeled for us. Know that there will be moments when it's hard. Know that there will be moments where it's scary. There will be moments where it's a challenge, but there will be also incredible moments of beauty and connection. May we empty ourselves like that glass on a drive, a drive in the summer to the very last drop. And now go. Receive this benediction, this blessing that's meant to be lived out as you go from this place this week. May you go encountering a God who will continue to pour into you like a woman breaking expensive oil upon Christ's head. May you go encountering a Christ who shows you what it looks like to pour out to the very last drop. And may you go encountering a Holy Spirit that works within you, that holds the tension of the death struggle within you beautifully so that the suffering you might do might be for others and for Christ. May you go in peace this week. Amen. Amen.